everybody, and welcome to another fabulous episode of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. As you can no doubt tell from me doing the introduction, Daryl Grove is not with me today. He is instead still in Michigan. He will be back next week. Until then, he will be on the show doing a listener questions episode, as we are wont to do. I will be doing that later on in the week. But for now, I'm going to be talking a little La Liga. We've got El Clasico uh, right around the corner, recorded this show on Tuesday, publishing it on Tuesday, El Clasico Wednesday afternoon to help me make sense of that class and all to expect there. I'm talking to Graham Ruthven of Eurosport and many other publications. Graham has been on the show previously. He will be on the show again because he is always wonderful. But we get into sort of the strengths and weaknesses of both teams as they head into El Clasico. Uh, more so the vulnerabilities for Real Madrid since they've got more injuries and a, a significant number more question marks uh, for that one. But we talk about Gareth Bale, the situation overall at Madrid, more so than just like where is Gareth Bale going to go next, although we do talk about that. But sort of his standing within the club because because it's been a strange season. We talk about how Hitafe have been so good and Atleti so poor and why that is the case. Uh, the next big manager who could come out of Spain. And then obviously we talk a bit about the Champions League. The draw has happened. The knockout round is set. Four Spanish teams remain. They've got... Uh, varying degrees of opponents they're going to be facing from very, 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 very world-class to mostly world-class. Uh, so Graham gives his thoughts on all those draws, on everything else La Liga. Uh, so I will stop introducing that conversation and instead say, with me once again to talk all things La Liga and a little Champions League, it's Mr. Graham Ruthven of Eurosport. Graham, thank you very much for taking the time to make yet another appearance. That is no problem at all, Taylor. It's always good to be on. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it's a big one this week. We've got a, a midweek Clasico, which was I don't know if this was the one that was initially scheduled, but there's been uh, some uh, rescheduling due to political situations. Can we start there? What why is this being played midweek? Because usually with a Clasico, you'd expect it to be very hyped up on a weekend for prime viewing. Instead, we've got it Wednesday afternoon. Why is that the case? Yeah, so this game was originally scheduled for I think it was late October, I believe, and it was a a, a Saturday or a Sunday game as mm-hmm. you would as you would expect normally to be the case. Um, and then the political situation in Spain and Catalonia uh, flared up again, as has been the case for for a number of years now. There were uh, a number of uh, pro-independence figures arrested. Um, by Spanish authorities and obviously that was extremely inflammatory and mm-hmm. controversial and then from that came concerns that the, the match at the Camp Nou would um, be, descend into a suppose a political demonstration and protests and so the decision was taken uh, somewhat controversially, this wasn't a unanimously made decision to postpone the match, but there was still this uh, this urgency that they wanted to, because of the winter break in Spain, that splits the season uh, very deliberately into two separate parts, and so they wanted the classical done before the end of that first half, and so this was pretty much, obviously, with the Champions League last week, and um, pretty much the the only time that they, they could they could schedule the match, and and even even as we're talking now, a day before the game, um, they're still. Some reports that maybe this game might be a little bit under threat. I think as as things are, we are expecting it to go ahead, but that it has been discussed there may be more protests, more demonstrations that could force them into a decision uh, closer to kickoff. And, and if it were moved, would that be like a couple of days back or would it be moved into the new year? Yes, it, it, it would have to be. Um, okay. And that would be another nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Copa del Rey matches oh coming gosh. into play and, and it's it's a whole thing. So um, I personally would like to see it mm-hmm. played because obviously it's uh, 
arguably the, the the best fixture in world football. So uh, I want to see these two teams play each other. And, and as they are now tied at the top of the Liga, it's, it's a very nice kind of juncture for this game to happen. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Is like It almost feels as though they're trying to like keep it intentionally close. One team drops points, the other team drops points. One team wins, the other team wins. They've kept it neck and neck. So what is the latest in terms of their squad depth, injuries, etc., as we prepare for that Classico tomorrow afternoon? Who's going to be at full strength and who is going to be decidedly not at full strength? Well, in terms of the team on the pitch, Real Madrid ha- certainly have more injuries than, than Barcelona. Uh, Eden Hazard is, is not expected to play. He's got a, an ankle injury. Gareth Bale, he was on the bench against Valencia, but he's just come back from, from injury as well. And and basically, you can go through that whole Real Madrid team, and while a number of, number of them are playing and are expected to play, there's, there's very few players in that team who are actually fully fit. I mean, even... Courtois, Marcelo, Mendy was suspended, Carvajal's had an injury, Varane, Ramos, uh, Modric has had an injury this season, um, and then you've got Asensio who's out for the season, Bale who's got an injury, Hazard has got an injury, so th- th- there's so many players in that team who are maybe not completely match sharp. Um, I think Hazard is obviously the, the big miss there. Uh, there were signs he, he kind of had an injury at the start of the season and then he took a long time to get going at, at, in La Liga and there were questions about his weight even. You know, people saying that he was he was overweight and he actually kind of admitted himself finally that that probably was the case. And just at the time, he seems to be building an understanding with Benzema. Um, he's picked up this other injury. So, that that's a real concern for Real Madrid. It means they're probably going they're going to have to play one of either Vinicius or Bale or potentially Isco, which is is surprising given that Isco maybe even three weeks ago looked to be finished at Real Madrid and then he played he, he was given a, a a bizarre start against PSG in that Champions League game. Played quite well and he's kind of come back into the the picture. So. While Rodrigo, the teenage Brazilian, he's almost guaranteed to to start. It's kind of that other uh, right-sided prong of the attack that's maybe up for grabs. And none of the the, the solutions there, I don't think Zidane is particularly confident of. You know, Bale, I would say, is probably... I mean, I think he's the, he's still the best of those three players, but we all know the, 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 the concerns over, over mm-hmm. Gareth Bale and Real Madrid at the moment. So, um, yeah, Barcelona have their issues as well, but in terms of the team on the pitch, they will have pretty much a full-strength side to face uh, Real Madrid tomorrow. So I wanted to go back to a couple things there. I actually wanted to start with Bale. Um, what is going on with him? I feel like I ask you this every time. We've 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 heard about the uh, yeah. the Wales Golf Madrid. I think last time you were here, I asked you what's going to happen with him. I think the time before that, I asked you what's going to happen with Gareth Bale. I'm going to ask you the same thing because he seems to be once again sort of like in the in the crosshairs of the Madrid hierarchy. But then he performs well and he seems to redeem himself. But then he's playing golf and it always seems to be a kind of state of uncertainty with Gareth Bale. Well, it sounds like that is still the case, but I'm wondering where we are with him in terms of his Madrid career and how long we expect that to continue to last. I don't think it will last much longer. However, what I would say is there's the, the, the vitriol has actually kind of eased a little bit. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that, because actually on the face of things, it seems to be worse than ever before. But it's almost descended into a bit of a pantomime. So when he came back from the Wales game with, with the infamous flag, mm. the boos were louder than ever before. But a number of people who were at the game were noting that actually after the boos, a lot of the fans were kind of laughing and joking. And, and Bale seems to have, um, I mean, he's trolling. He's trolling the Madrid media at the moment. He's, he's, I've seen videos of him on the training ground where he's like practicing his golf swing and <laughs> pretending to putt through, putt through uh, cones and so on. And, and so he's... 
I mean, he wants to get out of Real Madrid, I think. Now he's decided that he needs to move on and Real Madrid want him to leave. But he's almost having as much fun with the situation as you po- as, as, it, as it's possible to do so. Um, and I noticed against Valencia, he was sitting on the bench and he was, um, you know, that, that bottle flip yeah. thing that that weirdly went quite viral on social media a little while ago. He's, he's trying to do that on the bench. And he doesn't seem to be um, as consumed by everything as he was. But that's not to say that that that's not that that environment's not there anymore. It is. It's just kind of shifted a little bit, and I think he will probably leave Real Madrid. I mean, it's the same thing happens every time a transfer window comes up. You kind of look at who could take him, and there aren't many options out there. And again, January's coming up, and I think for a number of weeks people have been saying, "Oh, he'll leave on loan. He'll if they can sell him, they'll sell him." And I, I don't know where he actually ends up going. I think, I think if anywhere, maybe a a loan deal back to, to Spurs might actually be the thing that ends up uh, materialising because obviously Spurs, Jose Mourinho is a little bit more open to, to I think, big-name players than, than Pochettino was. I think Daniel Levy has, has wanted a big-name players in that club for a long time. The, the appointment of Mourinho suggests that he's, he wants Tottenham to become more of a kind of a sparkly, marquee, marquee club and, and, and Bale would... After a few fans a bit disgruntled with Pochettino leaving, I think Bale would get quite a number of them back on side. So uh, th- I think if, if I was to make a prediction, that one seems the most likely. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like anything's going to change anytime soon with Bale. Despite the fact he's still, I think he's still one of their best players. And when he comes on and when he plays, he tends to contribute. But I think it's just past the point of no return now. Is he a bit like Carlos Vela from what you've seen or from what you've heard in that like maybe football isn't his primary passion, that he's interested in other stuff, he's just very, very good at football, so he can play it, he can do it, but it's not going to be this kind of all-consuming thing for him the way it is for other people? Or is it just that maybe Madrid hasn't gone the way he expected and he's kind of out, but if he goes to a new club, maybe that intensity returns? Um, that, that's an interesting question. I think I think more recently I would say, yeah, there is an argument to be made that he he is the kind of person who sees other things in life. I mean, I remember uh, there was an interview years ago with Benoit Suakoto. I remember him played yeah. for Spurs, and and that was a really inter- interesting interview where he said, "Look, I'm really good at football, but I, I don't even like football," which I thought was 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 quite interesting and and quite eye opening. I think I think Bale's not quite at that level, and I think if you look earlier in his career. The, the way he transformed himself uh, physically and also from a like a fullback into this uh, all-rounded attacker suggests that he put a lot of effort in and he was really driven and motivated. But the past couple of years, yeah, maybe he has uh, kind of taken his eye off the ball metaphorically. But, you, you, I mean, as you kind of suggest there, you never know. Maybe if he, goes, he goes back to Spurs and all of a sudden he rediscovers his, his, his love for the game. But I think for Real Madrid and Bale that something needs to happen because this has gone on for too long now. And then one more about individual Real Madrid players. I'm sure there'll be more, but one more right now at least. Uh, talking about Isco for a moment, this this is indicative of how like little attention I have paid consistently to Real Madrid this season, that I think of Isco, especially under Zidane, as being a key player in that kind of first run, those, those three years back to back to back, um, that Isco was a key player for him. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I remember it. So to hear that he was uh, like almost looked to be finished is a bit of a surprise. What's happened there, and what do you credit for him maybe getting back into the starting eleven? I think uh, I think injuries and, and Zidane's kind of need to rotate has has played a big uh, role. I think yeah, Isco Isco was a, a key figure for Zidane in kind of his first spell since he's come back. He's been, in fact, to be honest, to call him peripheral would actually be overstating his role until wow. recently. He just he just wasn't in the team at all or in the squad, um, and so. 
it was very surprising to see him in that team to face PSG because he'd literally been plucked from from nowhere and and he played quite well as I, as I said um, a little while ago he played quite well in that game and he has been featuring a bit more there's not really a suggestion he is becoming a key figure he's more in the rotation because the midfield unit that Zidane has very much settled on now which has actually been the key to their whole season turning around has been this uh, this well really it's a midfield duel between Casemiro and Fede Valverde who has been probably the success story of Real Madrid season so far and then there's one place for Modric and, and Toni Kroos and, and between those between those two and then Valverde and Casemiro that's the midfield unit and Isco kind of has to figure uh, fit around that and whether that's in an attacking role on the right wing or he has played in the left wing, that's not really where he's at his best, but that's just where he's required at the moment. So he's doing a job out of necessity. I don't think he's a great fit for this Real Madrid team. And, and I think along with Bale, there's a good chance that he will probably leave Real Madrid, certainly by the end of the season and maybe even in January if Real Madrid get a couple signings in. So with everyone we've talked about so far from a Madrid perspective, haven't really talked too much about Barcelona yet. We can get to them now. Um, how do you think each manager will approach this one? What are the vulnerabilities that each side will maybe be looking to exploit in what I'm assuming is going to be a KG and at times physical affair? Yeah, it, 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 it will be. And, and, and one thing to note is this Barcelona team are not the Barcelona team of old. So the biggest criticism of Ernesto Valverde is that he's more of a pragmatist than he's not he's not in the romantic image of Barcelona as this tiki-taka um, even if you look at Luis Enrique who did uh, develop, develop Barcelona and take them to become a more kind of uh, direct side with, with Neymar and they did actually play quite a number of like long diagonal balls Valverde is, is, is much more pragmatist much more conservative and so you, you might actually see I'm, I'm thinking particularly with that midfield unit for Real Madrid playing as they are they are playing very well at the moment you might actually see Real Madrid. I'm not going to say dominate the ball, but certainly hold their own. It might be it might be fifty fifty in that regard at Camp Nou, which is which is almost unheard of um, for for a Barcelona team. Um, and I think that midfield battle will be key. I mean, Frankie De Jong is has settled in reasonably well to, into that Barcelona team, but he's not playing the role that he was playing for Ajax. He's actually playing much more of a. Uh, a forward role he's not quite playing as a number 10 but certainly as as like a number eight uh, whereas I think he was signed primarily as as a long-term replacement for Sergio Busquets um but he he's playing kind of as well as Busquets instead of instead of Busquets and um I, I think maybe we might see Arturo Vidal play this match he's he's very much um kind of a symbol of how Valverde has taken Barcelona in this kind of conservative way. He is he he would never ever have got a look in for one of the great Barcelona, certainly for Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team, but maybe for even for Luis Enrique um, as well because he's he's combative. He he's not even especially great on the ball, but he he gives Barcelona something extra going forward with late runs into the box, and he seems to play quite well with Lionel Messi as well, which is is a prerequisite for anyone at, at Barcelona, as uh, Philippe Coutinho found out to his cost that you need to <laughs> you need to play well with Lionel Messi, and and that's maybe something that uh, is on Antoine Griezmann's mind. Of talking about playing well with Lionel Messi, he has. The, 
you're talking to me to, to me at a, a slightly difficult juncture with, in judging Griezmann because he has been better in maybe the past two, three games. But judging his season as a whole, he hasn't really settled into Barcelona. And at times, Suarez and Lionel Messi are quite literally playing around him to the point where it's almost comical. You know, he's he's making a run and, and, and his run is the best run, but Messi is looking for Suarez and Suarez is, is looking for Messi and it's almost like a training drill. But... Um, he has been better recently. If he were to come out and and score a big goal or, or 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 even a couple of big goals or play a big part in this match, this could actually be a real turning point for Antoine Griezmann. He was very good against Real Sociedad at the weekend, scored a a, a good goal, and so it feels like there's maybe a tipping point for him there. But um, every everywhere you look. I mean, these games are always interesting. That you will never speak to me, and I will have nothing to say about a classical mm-hmm. that just doesn't happen. But it just feels like this one. It's particularly interesting with the the way the two teams have been this season. Very fragile, but also all over the pitch there are there are uh, variables that we we're not quite sure of. We don't quite know which way they're going to go, and and that should make for a really interesting match. Hey folks, much more still to come from my conversation with Mr. Graham Ruthven. We're going to finish out talking about El Clasico. We're going to talk about some other teams in La Liga. We're going to talk about some other teams in La Liga who are in the Champions League and that draw and what uh, fate might await for them. Uh, But first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by Dollar Shave Club. Uh, When I talk about Dollar Shave Club, I can't stress enough the quality of their products. And this is truer for me uh, now more than ever because we've had uh, family in town. We've had friends coming over. We've had people staying for us, which always requires uh, what my wife has dubbed a wham-bam cleanup. It's kind of a rapid-fire cleanup, which usually leaves me only a little bit of time to get ready before people show up. Um, And that is where products from Dollar Shave Club come in handy, because for example, the executive razor. I like to use a safety razor with a single razor blade. That can be a little bit risky at times. If you don't change it out immediately, you might get into some nicks and snags and problems like that. But with the executive razor, you can shave quickly (laughs) if that's what you need to get done. Um, And then the other products, their shave butter, their shave lather, their post-shave do. If you do happen to cut yourself, it helps with uh, stopping that one. Um, you can tell how quickly I was shaving. But their products really do enable you to kind of get your grooming done and get yourself on the way. And right now, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. That'd be the executive razor, their shave butter, their prep scrub, the post-shave do. I mentioned most of those things. The prep scrub Daryl loves. You've heard about it before. The best part is you can try it for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices. So get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at Dollar dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS for that ultimate starter set of just $5. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show and continuing to sponsor the Total Soccer Show in general. Thank you very much to Graham Ruthven for making another appearance on the show. Let's get back to him talking about La Liga. This may be a very stupid question, so apologies in advance, but with everything you said from Valverde, which player do you think he values more within his system? Is it Lionel Messi or is it Antoine Griezmann? Because I, again, I know that sounds ludicrous, but I think of Griezmann as, from what I've seen of him with Barcelona, as more of a like route one, sort of a, like, you can use him to get him behind, he's got the pace, he's got the cleverness, mm-hmm. he's got the finishing ability. That almost seems to be what what like Valverde might like if he's going for a more pragmatic approach of sort of sit back and then counter, less so with Lionel Messi. So I guess I find myself wondering like, do, do you get an idea of which one he maybe prefers within his system? Them, not necessarily prefers as a player. Um, I, I do get what, you, what you're getting at there. What I would say is that it's only really recently that Valverde has seemingly settled on what he actually sees ah, Griezmann's role right, as right. being. So the first part of the season, he was using him on the left side and um, very much just kind of 
hoping that he would become the, the Neymar sort of figure. Um, you, and, and really, that just seemed like a, a total waste for Griezmann, who at Atletico Madrid, we all know, had been played through the middle. It's only recently that he's almost settled on using that on using that front three of Messi, Suarez and Griezmann almost vertically. So it's almost, if you watch them sometimes, it's almost like a, a straight line um, if you were to position them on the field. Obviously, there's a lot of fluidity when they get the ball and so on, but Messi is very much the one who's picking the ball up from midfield and driving it forward. Then there's, there's Suarez who's playing as a centre forward and now they're kind of using Griezmann as almost an auxiliary centre forward higher up the field if that if you kind of get what I'm saying so it's mm. almost like a vertical line and, and that has had su- success but it's also meaning that the full backs are having to do a lot of work on their own th- to provide the width Jordi Alba is, is, is brilliant at doing that he's what he's done his whole career and actually he, he's probably quite pleased that he now has no one in front of him but on the right side Valverde's never seemed totally sure of Nelson Semedo and Sergio Roberto is a converted midfielder so he's not flying up that wing so they they are kind of settling on a system to get Griezmann involved but by moving him away from the left that is creating deficiencies in other areas of the team as well and so for you as you're watching this game tomorrow what are the areas that will kind of be indicators for you of the way this game is going, aside from the scoreline, obviously? But like, if you see Casemiro being overrun, or if you see, say, Busquets having to do a lot of like tracking back and covering, like, are there any specific things you look for in a game like this, specifically in El Clasico, as to how the game is going, or who is doing what and when? Yeah, I think I think you mentioned Busquets there. That's that's a good ga- gauge because um, I mean Sergio Busquets is, is is a Spanish football legend, a Barcelona legend, and he's still one of the best players in his position in world football. But he's not. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the legs that he he's had um, in recent years. And actually, just there at, at the weekend against uh, La Real against uh, Sociedad. He had a really, really tough game against uh, Martin Odegaard, who, who it was almost unfair at times that Odegaard, you know, the twenty-year-old with all the energy in the world, was was driving at him, and and Busquets really didn't have an answer for it. And so I think Real Madrid will be looking um, to do that. I think probably it will. It, I this is difficult to make a call. I think they will. That Zidane will go for Modric for that reason. I think he'll want someone driving at. Um, Busquets I think he'll want that, that platform of Valverde and Casemiro I think will give Modric that feel, uh, that freedom and I think Modric is more likely to do that than Kroos despite the fact Kroos has maybe been playing better than Modric recently but um, yeah I think that will be a real indicator and, and then the indicator for, for Real Madrid I think is um, if they can get Karim Benzema involved in the game Karim Benzema is very much the the face of this Real Madrid team in the post Cristiano Ronaldo era, he scored more goals for Real Madrid than than Ronaldo has for Juventus in the past two seasons. He's been uh, brilliant for Real Madrid this season. He's tied in the Pichichi standings with twelve goals with Lionel Messi, and so I think the worry for Real Madrid is maybe with Hazard not there that he might not have the supply line. I think if the worry comes if he starts dropping back into midfield, hmm. he is a really well-rounded player, Benzema, and he can do that effectively. But against Barcelona, you really want him in areas where he can he can harm them. And so if 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 he is um, if he's involved in the game, but not in a deep position, as a, more as a centre forward, then I think Real Madrid are, are, are in play. 
And final uh, classical question before we move on to La Liga in general. Um, how much will this match impact what happens in the January window? Because as you said, like we've got it very, very close to the end of December, January right around the corner. If Madrid loses, if Barcelona loses, do you expect them to kind of treat January as, okay, we've definitely got to go out there and strengthen a lot to be ready for the second half of the season? Or is it not going to be quite so crisis mode quite so quickly? Um, I think it could have a big impact. I never underestimate how much of an impact this game can have. I mean, managers have lost their jobs because they've they've lost this match. I mean, last season, uh, Lopetegui, um, who admittedly hadn't been doing too well, but he he lost this match 5-1 or 5-0, I think it was, and, and really there was no way back from mm-hmm. for him uh, from that moment. And so while I don't think either manager is going to lose their jobs on the back of this game, you're right, that could be the impact if, if there's a big... Um, you know, Barcelona win, then then Real Madrid might. I think Real Madrid either way actually will probably be forced into the market. I think they actually have to sell quite a number of players um, or get or send them on loan. I think. Um, I think we'll probably see Luka Jovic actually leave Real Madrid on loan. He's as much as Real Madrid have done quite well in the transfer market in, in the summer. He's he's been a bit of a flop, and so I think he might leave. Um, Barcelona. Will Barcelona do a lot of business? I th- I'm not too sure about that because. I still get the feeling that they're trying to balance the books to get Neymar, and I don't think they're going to get him in January, obviously. So I think they might keep their pennies in their purse until the summer. But um, as I've alluded to, if if they get thumped by Real Madrid, especially in camp now, that may change. So never underestimate how this match can change the narrative of a whole season for one of these two teams. So we've got uh, Barcelona Real Madrid, obviously, uh, first and second of the table. Behind them, I'm going to say a couple surprises. I'm going to start with Hatafe, currently fourth in the table, uh, when manager uh, Jose Bordalas uh, took over. They were near the relegation zone, I believe, in the second division. How have things gone mm-hmm. so right for them? What have they done to turn it around uh, so drastically? Well, if, if you're asking me going right back to the start, I, I'm not sure if I can provide many answers. <laughs> Just real, I mean, qu- real quick, uh, quick two-minute answer about like years of progression and progress. And yeah. like, Just go ahead, real quick. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a fairy tale. I mean, they are, they are one of the toughest teams to beat in, in the La Liga. They, they very, very rarely get convincingly beaten. If they do get beaten, it's always a 1-0 or a 2-1. Um, and so I suppose that gives them a platform. If you're on a platform where you're pretty much p- picking up something from every match, you're going to be quite successful. I, I didn't expect them to be up in this uh, part of the table again after last season. Of course, they only missed out on the Champions League places last season by, I think it was in the last day of the season, Valencia leapfrogged them. So they got desperately close. I thought they would fall away. Um, I think one of the benefits Hitafe have got is that they they don't have... You know, sometimes when you see... Uh, a team come through and, and do, do something. You think about Leicester, they had picked off. You know, obviously, Riyad Mahrez went to, to uh, Manchester City and Golo Kante went to Chelsea. And and while they do have, you know, some good players, Jorge Molina and and uh, Cucurella, who's who's obviously on loan there, and uh, Jaime Mata, uh, Angel Rodriguez, you know, they do have some good players there. None of them are really superstars, so they they manage to keep hold of pretty much everyone over over the summer. And and I suppose if 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 you keep hold of everyone, there's not really much reason. And you have the same manager, there's not really much reason to to believe there will be much of a drop off. So if I think about it now, logically in hindsight, what, I don't know why I thought they wouldn't they wouldn't be as good as they are. But yeah, a, a, a wonderful story. Um, and um, yeah, I personally hope that they manage to qualify for the Champions League this season because I think that would be that would be brilliant, and it and it would really 
I'm a big fan of Madrid football culture outside the big two. They're, you know, outside of uh, London, there's maybe not a city in Europe that has so many clubs in uh, so many different parts of the city. And I would like a spotlight to be shown um, on one of those clubs. So I am rooting uh, unequivocally for Hitafi this season. And what about Sevilla? Where do they fall in your estimations? They're currently third uh, in the Champions League spots. Do you expect them to stay there as well? I do expect them. Yeah, I think they will finish in the in the top four. I, I personally think Atleti will be the ones that, that miss out this season. I think this season will be a, a, a real bad one for Atletico Madrid. I think Sevilla... You know, it's a shame. If, if you'd spoken to me last week, I might have made the case that they could potentially be a third force and maybe push Barcelona and Real Madrid, maybe even split them if one of those two teams has, has, a, has, a, has a bad run. They then picked up a pretty poor result against Villarreal at the weekend there and, and it just kind of brought back this sense that Sevilla, they, they always kind of get to the point where you think they're just about ready and then they fall away a little bit and they don't have that that kind of spirit that that you need to sustain a title charge. And I think that the biggest issue for them is, is maybe an attack. They, they signed Luke de Jong in the summer and he ha- he isn't really doing the business. Of course, they lost uh, Ben Yedder to, to Monaco, so that's a lot of goals they lost in their team. Munir uh, El Haddadi, of course, the, the former Barcelona player, he has picked up his form recently and is doing well. I think, you know, off the top of my head, I think he's got something like six goals in his last five games. So he's starting to step into the void, but... We've seen this from Munir before. He goes. He's a very streaky player. He will. He will score in a number of games back to back, and then go ten games without a goal. So I'm not totally convinced that he's the solution. If I was uh, Sevilla, I would be going out in January, and, and they need to go out and get a striker who will get them uh, ten, possibly fifteen goals in the second half of of the season. And if they do that, then yeah, maybe they could be a force. But I mean, finding those sort of strikers is is not easy. I mean, they're literally the most in demand players in football. So. Um, yeah, they've got a, a work, work to do to find that player. We do a, a weekend review uh, show on the Total Soccer Show once a week. Uh, my co-host with that one is Ryan Bailey. He referred to uh, Real Sociedad as, I think, like the team of misfit toys because you've got Yanazai in there, <laughs> you've got Odegaard, you've got Nacho Monreal, uh, other players as well. Um, how have Sociedad uh, performed uh, in your estimations this season and what do you expect from them for the remainder? Oh, they've, they've been brilliant. I mean, obviously, the teams in La Liga. Um, I mean, it would be it would be remiss of me to say that Barcelona and Real Madrid are still the biggest draw in that league, and I, and I, and I do tend to watch more of them than any other side. But beyond that, Sociedad are the ones that uh, that I try and catch as much of as possible. I mean, they're they're so good to watch. You mentioned Odegaard. I mean, he's really been. I mean, obviously, you have to you have to man- mention uh, the 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 same old suspect, Lionel Messi, as the best player in La Liga. But beyond that, there is an argument to be made that Odegaard has actually been the best player in the whole league this season. That's how good he has been, and and it's been so good to see a player who was written off as. I mean, when was he moved to Real Madrid when he was about fifteen years old, yep. and people were making judgments on his career with but within two years. I mean, it was utterly ridiculous. Now he looks so much stronger for that experience, and I don't expect what there's already talk about whether he'll go back to Real Madrid at the end of this season. He's got a two-year loan deal, so they could recall him early. But regardless of when he goes back to Real Madrid, I I, I expect him to be able to handle it because he's getting enough attention as it is now at, at La Real and 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 he's doing brilliantly. But it's not just Odegaard; it's uh, Oyarzabal who's 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 fantastic. Um, Alexander Isak, he he played against um, mm. Barcelona at the weekend. He's the the on loan uh, Borussia Dortmund striker, the Swedish striker who's who was dubbed the the new. Uh, 
the new Zlatan for a wee while, and then again similar to Odegaard, written off very early. So they've they've done a lot of good business, and 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 I think they've been arguably the most entertaining team to watch in La Liga this season. Part of the issue is is consistency or their lack thereof. Um, they probably should have beaten Barcelona at the weekend. They had that many chances in the first half in particular and they only got a 2-2 draw, which is kind of a microcosm of their season. They played really well, didn't get the result that they were they should have got. Um, so I think they will be... I think they'll finish in the top six. I, I think it's a push to say they will be in the top four, but you, you never know. I mean, maybe maybe they will string a, a, a number of results together and things will really come together for them in the second half of the season. They certainly have the players to, to do that. And and if maybe uh, like other clubs were to maybe look at some clubs in La Liga for potential new managers, would you put your money on? Uh, is it Imanol uh, Alguacil? I apologize, I can't uh, speak. I don't know if yeah, that's bad, Alguacil. but my pronunciation is bad. Uh, or Jose Bordelas, uh, Bordelas of uh, Hetafe. Which one do you think is more likely to get like a, a bigger job to move up a little bit after this season or sometime in the near future? Oh, de- definitely Imanol. Um, I think Bordelas has done a, an excellent job, but the the style of play. Not, I'm not, I'm not trying to do down that what, what you know how Hitafi play, but he's he's not going to get the Barcelona Real Madrid Madrid job on the on the back of playing a. a I don't mean this is in an insulting way, but a quite one-dimensional style of play. It's very uh, kind of rough and ready and physical, and and they do do they do what they do very well. Um, but I don't see him getting um, really a big job at, on the back of that. Whereas uh, what Imanol's done at, at La Real has 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 been magnificent, and you you could make the case that uh, you know if, if Valverde were to leave Barcelona now, um, which has been has been muted, you know he he muted he has he has uh, come under a lot of scrutiny at Barcelona this season and a lot of pressure. If he were to leave now, then he would have to be one of the candidates to replace him because Barcelona fans are absolutely desperate to go back to this this attractive dynamic style of football that Barcelona have been known for for years and and he kind of embodies that at, at La Real so um yeah out of those two I'm not I'm not saying one is doing a better job than the other but Emmanuel's definitely the one you can see make, making the step up Hey, everybody, this is Taylor jumping in one more time. Uh, before we get to more Champions League talk, uh, I did want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Feels. Feels is a better way to feel better. Their premium CBD will help you keep your head clear and help you feel your best. Their CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. As I said, it is the holiday season. It is a sort of stressful time if you've got uh, family members coming to stay, especially if you've got in-laws coming to stay. Uh, that can be a little bit taxing, but Feels can help. They can help reduce that stress. Uh, if you've got a bunch of people coming over, you're about to host a big dinner or a big uh, holiday party or something like that, maybe Feels just takes the edge off a little bit. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness uh, so you can host the event, feel relaxed, and then go right to bed and feel relaxed there as well. Uh, but if you're a little bit concerned about uh, Feels and CBD, it's worth noting that uh, it works very naturally. There's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction. If you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support to help you guide your personal experience so you won't uh, have to feel any anxiety. But if you were, you could just take the feels and then the anxiety would go away. And it's kind of a nice little cycle you've got there. Um, so if you want to check out what feels has to offer, uh, you can become a member today by going to feels.com slash TSS and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. 50% off plus free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order plus free free shipping. One more time, feels.com slash TSS uh, for that wonderful, wonderful offer. Thank you very much to Feels for sponsoring today's episode. Now back one more time to Mr. Graham Ruffin. 
I want to talk about a few more La Liga clubs, uh, but I want to talk about them maybe in the context of the Champions League because that draw has obviously taken place. Uh, let's start with Atleti, the aforementioned Atleti drawing uh, Liverpool. From what I've read on Twitter, it sounds like you think Atleti will definitely win this and do it very comfortably. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I believe your tweet was <laughs> Liverpool will destroy Atletico Madrid. They won't score in either leg. You heard it here first. Yes, that, is, that pretty much sums up my feeling. I think Atletico Madrid are having a really bad season um, and they need to make sure it's a transitional one. They need to make sure that this counts for something, that this this pain they're going through actually leads to something on the other side because it, Simeone spoke a lot in the summer about how that he wanted to move away from the philosophy that he calls, or other people call, Chilismo, which is... Uh, you know, very uh, conservative. Very, we've seen it all. You know, very, very good at the mm-hmm. back and, and very strong at the back and very good on the counter-attack and with a real mental strength. And really, they have moved away from that, but they've not moved to anything, um, you know, decipherable. I can't, I can't see an identity. They're not, they're not expansive. They're not, uh, you know, possession-based. They, they're just lacking in an identity at the moment. And, you know, I look at Liverpool, who are so strong in their identity. They know exactly what what they all stand for. What each player knows exactly what responsibility they have in the team and the players that they sign. I mean, um, is it Minamino? They're signing from Salzburg. I think is a good example of just how um, sure of their identity they are. I mean, they're not going for the Haaland figure, who's obviously one of the most in demand players in European football. They're going for the guy that they know will work well in their team and. So my point is, I just think it's a contrast between Atleti, who don't know what they are at the moment, and Liverpool, who are so sure of themselves in that regard. And Atletico are struggle, struggling for goals. I mean, that, that's been the big issue for them, is while their defence their defense actually hasn't been that much worse, it's been slightly worse, but it's completely exposed because in the final third, they are just not scoring goals. I think they underestimated how big a miss Antoine Griezmann would be. They have not really replaced him. Yao Felix is a, is a brilliant young player. We've seen glimpses of that, but he doesn't really have a position in this team yet. We don't know whether he's a wide forward or a secondary striker or attacking midfielder, and I don't think Simeone knows that either. So they're just I, I, I just think Liverpool will get through this match quite comfortably. When does Simeone start feeling the pressure, or because of everything he's done with that club, is it sort of uh, very unlikely that he feels any pressure for a, a good long while? Well, he he has actually come under pressure already. There was a match, and I, I wish I could remember what match it was, but it was a it was a home match, and it was probably a draw because Atleti have drawn so many matches this season. Um, and there were the you know the old Spanish protests of the of the white handkerchief that you know it wasn't the whole stadium, but there was there were a few sites of it. They were whistled off the off the off the pitch, and that was a real kind of watershed. And I kind of watched that a little bit with my jaw on the floor because I'd never thought I would see that at Atleti um, towards Simeone. You know, he, as you say there, he's he's basically built this club in its current form, probably the most influential manager in European football at the moment in terms of a, a single club. And so I never expected I would see that. But he is certainly coming under pressure um, just now. I, th- I don't think he would ever be sacked. I, I think it, it would take something catastrophic for him to be sacked. But what I think, if if, if this continues... And there is no sign of what he's trying to achieve. I, I think a mutual parting of the ways is not totally out of the question. You know, maybe at the end of the season, because at the moment, Simeone, I mean, look, I know he's never been the, the smiliest, you know, on the on the side on the sidelines. Um, but it's even more kind of angsty from him at the moment. And you get the sense he's not really enjoying it. 
So we're thinking, uh, he's not really enjoying it. We're thinking Atleti uh, may uh, depart the Champions League courtesy of Liverpool. I'm going to assume Valencia are feeling slightly more confident about their draw against Atalanta. No disrespect to Atalanta, but uh, Valencia probably uh, happy with that one. They did sack their manager, uh, Marcelino, in September. They brought in Albert uh, Salades. Sounds like that wasn't a popular decision at the time. Uh, At the very least with the players, it wasn't. Uh, Has Salades gotten them uh, to come around, or are they still kind of performing in spite of him being there? Um, they are coming around. They are coming around. I, I, I think it, it's difficult to um, look at the Marcelino decision and, um, you know, kind of, it, it's difficult to look at Salada's appointment and not think of the Marcelino decision because Marcelino, I still think, is a better manager than Salada's and, and probably would have done a better job. I mean, this is a guy who led Valencia to the Champions League in two seasons back to back, which for a club like Valencia, you you could maybe be tempted to say that that's the minimum requirement. But let's not forget, Valencia have been a complete basket case of a mm-hmm. club for a, a number of years, and and so to to just be at that level is an achievement. And they they beat Barcelona in the in the Copa del Rey final last year, and um, so. It was a it was a mad decision for me to to get rid of Marcelino Salades. He's not quite up to that level. I mean, let's not forget Valencia are in, in eighth place in the table. They are, um, you know, they're they're not in the top four. Although they, I think there's only maybe two or three points between eighth and, and Hitafi and fourth, so they're not miles away. I think that the Champions League has been where they have have performed at their best. I mean, that performance away to Ajax. Um, where they got through was was arguably one of their best of the season. This is a team that is full of quality, and they showed that against Real Madrid at the weekend, where they they probably should have should have won. They were brilliant in the second half. Um, you know, Danny Parejo, I think, is one of these players who um, there's always going to be that question about how he may have fared a, a, a bigger club. I, I say that in inverted commas because um, Valencia are a massive club. But um, he's he's one of the most influential players in, in La Liga, and when he's really on his game, he's he's a joy to watch, and he was he's been brilliant recently. And then, of course, in, a, in attack, you know, they've got Maxi Gomez, who was a big summer signing, and then they've got Rodrigo, who is who is uh, you know was on his way to Atleti in this in the summer until that deal fell through. So they they have a lot of lot of quality in that in that team, Valencia, and. Um, I think they will be quite pleased. They've certainly probably got the the better of 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 the draws of the of the Spanish teams, um, and uh, they'll they'll be targeting a place in in the quarterfinals. Uh, I, I say this as as like sounding like an old man, or at the very least a non-Spanish speaker. But there there are too many Rodrigues and there's too many Rodrigos in this <laughs> world right now. It's it's difficult to track all of them because I think we've talked about three well, different ones on, on this show. On Sunday, it was Real Madrid Valencia, and I was covering it for Eurosport, and I had Rodrigo with a Y on the Real Madrid yep. side, and Rodrigo with an I on the Valencia side. So yes, I'm with you on that. They need <laughs> nicknames. I, I, okay, good. I'm glad, I'm glad we're on the same page on that one. Uh, so it sounds like Valencia w- will be happy. Uh, maybe they make it out. So uh, La Liga team's now one for two, if we count Atleti being eliminated. Uh, I'm going to guess that Barcelona also pretty happy to get Napoli uh, in this current uh, iteration of Napoli. Uh, Gattuso taking over, but I doubt they're going to inspire too much confidence confidence against Barcelona. So are you thinking maybe we're two for four in terms of La Liga teams advancing the next round, or do you think Madrid will be able to handle Man City? The I think we're certainly two for three. That that fourth one is 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 difficult to call for me. I, I think I don't know where I th- what I think about Real Madrid at the moment. Really, really, I don't. Um, sometimes I think they are a poor team, and then other times I think they're actually better than than most people give them credit for. 
I'm kind. They, they, what at the moment Real Madrid are doing that thing. I think it was the 2016, 2017 season under Zidane, where they weren't especially good, but they were just they just knew how to win games through muscle memory. That you know the number of late winners, the number of of comebacks, and they're they're kind of in that groove at the moment. They're not playing us that well, but they they are getting results and. And so I look at Man City, whose defence has has kind of collapsed this season. Um, you know, Laporte might be back for that game, I suppose. But I, I, I don't. It's, it's a difficult one to call. You know, Man City are not maybe not the Man City of last season. You know, I think a lot of people are expecting them to turn it on for the Champions League, but that's not as easy as just flicking a switch. And so I think that might actually be looking at the whole round. That might be. I'm just trying to judge. Yeah, that might be the one that is the biggest toss-up of the law of the of the round of 16. Is is that match? I think it could go either way. One more uh, question for you. Uh, once again, it's about Real Madrid, but it's about young Real Madrid players. Um, if you were looking at players from this season and what they've done so far, what your kind of expectations are for them, long term, who do you think will have the biggest impact, the most success with, with say, Real Madrid, or maybe just overall in their career, of maybe the four young players that we could look to from them right now, which would be Rodrigo with a Y, uh, Vinicius, but then also Martin Odegaard, and also Takafusa Kubo. Of those four, if you were kind of putting them in some semblance of an order, who do you have like the highest estimation for, and who do you think still has the longest way to go? I think Vinicius still has the longest way to go. Um, mm. I think we may have spoken last season about Vinicius, yep. um, and I said that he had made the biggest impact for a, a Real Madrid or Barcelona as a teenager that I had seen in La, La Liga since Lionel Messi, which now looks a little bit foolish, but I think people need to remember just how good he was last season. But we are now seeing that he, he is still a very raw player. I mean, he do, he lacks a final product a lot of the time. Um, he, he doesn't seem to be dealing all that well with the pressure of playing for Real Madrid, which is where I have a great deal of sympathy for him. He's, he scored a goal maybe two months ago, and burst into tears, not 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 through joy, but through just sheer relief because there were people talking about him maybe getting sent out on loan, and there was a lot of talk about him. And I think we need to remember that these guys are still teenagers, yeah. and and um, yeah, that that made me kind of think about uh, you know how we, we evaluate these sort of players. But I think Rodrigo with a Y has has been excellent since coming into Real Madrid. I think I think he is one of their key players now. Um, the only thing that holds me back from saying he will be a superstar for years to come is actually the Vinicius example. I mean, I thought the same of Vinicius last season and he's kind of regressed a little bit. So I suppose it's possible that Rodrigo could suffer a similar, similar regression. I think Kubo is a very talented young player, but he's probably not up to the standard of the other three. Um, you know, he's he's been doing a, a good job for uh, Mallorca. He's on loan at, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I think he's been doing well. I think Odegaard and Rodrigo are the two that I would pick. I mean, Odegaard is doing it on a weekly basis. Every single game I watch him, he's excellent. Even when he doesn't produce a goal or an assist or a secondary assist, you could, he, he affects the game. He's one of these players, kind of like a Luka Modric. You know, when Luka Modric doesn't do all that much, he's still doing more than, than almost anyone else on the pitch. And I think Odegaard is one of those players. And I think Rodrigo, um, I've been really impressed by how he's just kind of taken to life at Real Madrid, taken taken any stride. I mean, he seems to deal with the pressure a little bit better than Vinicius. So, um, yeah, those are the two that I'd pick out. I think they are the future of Real Madrid. And and, and I would actually um, put in Fede Valverde in mm-hmm. there as well um, because it's maybe striking that you haven't mentioned him there as a young player because he almost see, he's he's one of the first names in the team sheet now and it almost seems like he's just been there forever so um yeah, yeah those are why. the three for Real Madrid <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, yeah, I, I definitely th- thought he was older 
He's he he is he's been fantastic for Real Madrid this season. So I think between those three, Odegaard, Valverde, and Rodrigo, those three you would expect to be a big part of Real Madrid's future. All right, and they they may be in the future. We'll see how big of a part some of those players play uh, in El Clasico, which is tomorrow afternoon. Graham, are you are you going to be covering that one live, or are you just watching and then writing about it afterwards? I'll, I will be writing about it afterwards, but I'll also be doing live commentary for Eurosport. So. If you don't have a TV or you have a cord cut everything from mm-hmm. your life, <laughs> but you still have a broadband connection, you can uh, follow up with me on yeah. Eurosport. There we go. And if you're at work, maybe that might be the easier way. If you don't want to have a, a screen up of the game, you can follow Graham's commentary. Yes. That works that way as well. But Graham, I really appreciate you taking all the time to make sense of La Liga and the Champions League and El Clasico. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, Taylor. It's always fun. 